0: You're with John Fain on ABC Radio Melbourne. Call 1300 222 774 or text 0437 774 774.
1: Seven minutes past nine. Lots of people wanting to join in about airport issues. I'll get to them in a moment and your reaction... To the procedures that we've learned about this morning, thirteen hundred triple two seven seven four thirteen hundred triple two seven seven four. There's federal politics with Barry Cassidy, who will be able to explain to us exactly how the government goes on the one hand courting the One Nation senators for their vote, on the one hand not dancing to the One Nation senators' tune. So lots to talk about this morning, and in a moment you're going to meet a man who is doing a PhD on nature strips and is seeking your help. That's coming up shortly as well. James from Albert Park is a retired commercial airline. Pilot, morning to you, James. Good day, John. How are you going? Good, good. How
0: long ago were you still in the biz? Up until October last year, oh.
1: after uh, 31 years in the business.: So you're like, very current on international procedures and sure am. and the like. What do you think? What's going on here? What would a captain be required to do? And what should well,
0: Firstly, uh, this has happened after takeoff and probably during the sterile cockpit part of the flight when the cabin crew is not to call the flight deck. Uh, Usually there's a period of time after takeoff when the cabin crew are not to call the captain and the first officer unless it's something really dramatic happening in the cabin. Which which is one of... This is one of those instances? One of those instances, and for that reason, as soon as they've rung the captain, he's obviously uh, looking at the flight radar trace. He hasn't gone above 6,000 feet, Uh, This is important uh, because you don't know what sort of bomb you've got on the plane, whether it's a timer bomb or a pressure bomb. And so if uh, if the cabin pressure increases, uh, then there's a chance that it might blow the aircraft up. So he's done the right thing here and he's come back and landed in less than half an hour.
1: Now, how hard is it it to abandon takeoff when you're just six minutes in the air and uh, still climbing to take over from the computers and the like?
0: Well, it's very easy, uh, extremely easy. Um, This is an Airbus A330. The good part about Airbus is there's no problem with overweight landings. You can land on any runway you just took off from, provided the runway is not contaminated with ice or snow or rain. Yep. So you can just turn around, come back and land, whereas other brands of aeroplane have to do a lot of fuel dumping to get the weight down to stop breaking the aeroplane. So you don't so, dump fuel to stop a worse fire. You do it to reduce weight. That's correct. In fact, if there's any problem like a fire like corner 32 uh, where they had leaking fuel, you don't even touch the fuel dumping system because you, you may a, it may not stop working if there's, uh, if there's a problem in the fuel system, but also you don't want to set fire to any of the fuel you're dumping. So you're only dumping fuel to reduce the weight of the aircraft, and uh, if it's an airbus, they can just come back and land, and they have to do an overweight landing inspection when they get uh, back on the ground again. What does that mean? The engineers spent a lot of time crawling around the airplane looking at all the accelerometers and things to make sure there's been no stress on the airframe when it landed overweight. Uh, otherwise, um it's going to require a lot of maintenance to fix. But usually for an airbus, it's just a matter of engineers doing an inspection. And making sure that the
1: extra weight hasn't in any way compromised any of the the stressed parts of the frame. Okay, so now we've also learned already that the plane lands safely, but then goes to a secure, what's called a bomb zone of the airport. Is that what it's called?
0: Yes, it's a bomb location. Every airport's got one or two, depending on how big the airport is. And that does a number of things. Firstly, you have to make sure that if the bomb does go off, it doesn't damage any other aircraft or people or buildings. And also it has an area next to an access gate so the um, police can get to it.
1: All right. Now, there's some controversy already this morning and any number of people expressing their surprise that passengers are left on a plane for so long, in this instance, 90 minutes, whilst... The, the special operations group or the heavily armed, uh, almost military-style police came to remove the offender, uh, during which time no-one knew whether indeed there was
0: any further risk. Is that the right way to go about things from your point of view? Of course, and, and of course we're now sitting here uh, analysing this in the comfort of our lounge rooms yeah. where these four guys had very short time to think about this. There's a few options you leave the, the passengers on board and, uh, as these guys have done, and wait for the police. So obviously as they're getting information from the, flight, from the cabin that they're realising that the uh, situation is, is not escalating. In fact, they probably look like they've got it under control. And then you have to, to decide what's going to cause the least amount of harm. You can do a precautionary disembarkation using the slides. If you do that, you're going to get people injured in some elderly people or young yep. people yep. could and, get bad injured. A bit of, bit of panic, yeah. Well, paraplegia, quadriplegia—that's yep. the sort of thing we're worried about. Yep. And the people are wearing summer clothing because they're going to Malaysia.
1: And it's midnight and it's about six
0: degrees. Yep,
1: freezing cold.
0: Yeah, but at an airport with no cover and uh, a breeze blowing,
1: it's probably worth about two degrees. Freezing cold on the wrong side from the building with no buses and any other means of getting people across.
0: Absolutely nowhere to go and people just start running. Yep. So (laughs) then you've got to go find them again. So you can understand how hard it is to control the situation once you pop the slides and they're on their way and you're going to get one or two paraplegics maybe and maybe some people are going to be further injured than that. So you really don't want to do that unless it's a life-threatening situation.
1: All right. Now, there are armed police at the airport all day, all night, 24 hours, seven days a week. Why wait for the uh, anti-terrorism or whatever other special operations group, the heavily armed paramilitary police, to deal with a man who's already restrained, hogtied and posing no immediate threat?
0: And now I hand you over to the Victorian police or the AFP because once we have done our job, um, and I've done this, had the same sort of situation in, in other countries, uh, where we've just taxied up to the gate and they've come in and uh, taken the passenger away, so... Uh, of course, with this heightened worry about uh, terrorism, uh, things are changing on a daily basis. They're probably getting more information than you or I know. And remember, during the time this is all happening, 90 minutes, it sounds a long time, but they're going to the guy's house in Dandenong. They're interrogating his family to make sure he hasn't left any messages. And, uh, you know, there's a huge amount of backstory to this that happens in those precious minutes. And look, for every minute you're sitting on a plane like that, it feels like two hours. Sure, and we're already told that they're also doing
1: a complete security check of everyone on the manifest, everyone on the plane, to all see right. if there are any other people who might reasonably be suspects or suspicious.
0: And probably running through the CCTV of every passenger going to the gate and looking at the tapes of everything that was x-rayed to make sure they didn't make a mistake with explosives. But you, you, know, you this... leave the people on the plane at an
1: isolated location whilst all of that is taking place.
0: Well, um... With a few people sitting on top of the passenger and the idea that the passengers and the crew have worked out that the person is probably mentally ill, uh, you take that into account.
1: Wow. Look, it's fascinating, and clearly a lot of thought has gone into every single possible step and every scenario and every eventuality. I'm very grateful to you for sharing with us what can I are. just
0: mention? Can I just mention that uh, one tiger aircraft ended up in Adelaide, and the Virgin One went to Launceston, and uh, three cargo aircraft diverted to Avalon. So lots of things happened at the same time. Oh, yeah, planes that were due to land at Melbourne. Yeah, and there's yeah. passengers who probably are not back from Adelaide yet because the curfew, they have to, once they're waiting in Adelaide, they have to stay there till the curfew ends.
1: Yeah, sitting around waiting to get to their eventual destination and maybe with connecting flights as well. That's right, and they're probably still not back. No, no, these things are incredibly disruptive, but they you've explained to us why things are done the way they are, for which I'm very grateful. My pleasure. Thank you indeed. Paul Infantry Gully, good morning to you, Paul.